Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you guys laughed at Parkway Victoria when you heard the dong dong. A few years ago, my mom used to be hooked on watching Law and Order, and you guys know my mom is in struggling with end-stage Alzheimer's now. But the one thing she loved to watch over and over and over and over again was Law and Order. In fact, we had it programmed on her remote control. We called it her Law and Order button. That if Law and Order wasn't on this channel, that she could push this button and keep pushing it until she found it because it's on somewhere. And the funny thing, and we choose to laugh with mom, the funny thing is we would be sitting watching one of the original episodes and she'd look at me and she'd say, Michael, I think this is a new one. I haven't seen it yet. They were all brand new, and it was so exciting to watch with her. So that dung-dung, every time I hear it, I think of those sweet times with my mom, and I'm glad you got a good laugh there too. This series is all about God's law and God's order as we jump into the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Our study this year is a very simple one. We're open our Bibles, and we're learning together. If you're new with us, my name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's my privilege to unpack the Word of God with you today. And I hope that we unpack it in such a way that you can understand what the word is saying, that you can apply it to your life so you can see how it offers you hope in the world around us. Before I jump into the talk, though, I do want to highlight some things that have happened that have been fun in our church recently. Last weekend, we had an event where we served in our communities. It was called Love Your Neighbor. And then we had an event the Wednesday before entitled Love Like Jesus. So I just wanted to show you some pictures of that, let you see what you missed, and let you see what your church was up to. So let's get started with the Love Like Jesus event. You know, when we say that small groups matter at Parkway Church, what we mean is that what happens around tables matters more. What happens in circles matters more than what happens in rows. And I want you to see these people that are a little gathering with their small group. They're normal people just like you. And so you could be a part of a group and be a part of what God's doing. You could even come to group life on Wednesday and, and find a place. Then on Friday, we served at Christ's Kitchen and served 170 plates. Trish and Bill do an amazing job with their ministry there. Love seeing families serve together. Love seeing friends serve together there at Christ's Kitchen. Every Friday, we've got a group of people that are there serving. Then on Saturday, we went to VCAM, and they meet the needs of the hungry and the poor in our community, and we were packing emergency food packs here, I believe. And I love seeing people serve in relationships with each other, Anna and Julio serving together, and the small team of people that was serving there at VCAM on Saturday morning, even a full family serving together. Then on Saturday, we went to Twin Pines, and we did a Valentine's Day bingo celebration, and those Valentines were written by our, by our children's ministry, our Wednesday Night Impact Kids. And there was a resident there at the nursing home that said, I didn't get a Valentine until the church brought me one. That's why we go. That's why we go. And I love seeing them build relationships with people as they play bingo, multi-generational. And then on Sunday, we went to Salem Village and threw a sidewalk party. And we're going to throw many, many more of these. How can bubbles and games and prayer and the story of Jesus impact a life? Well, it can. And I'm so appreciative for the Martinez family and them leading the event and the great job that they did reaching our neighbors. Look how it concluded here at the playground. I mean, we got people praying on a playground right? That's pretty awesome to me. So I say, yay, God, for Love Your Neighbor weekend and, and the teams that went out and made a difference in our communities. And I just encourage you, as you see us doing more of this, meeting the needs of people in the name of Jesus, I encourage you to step in. 
As you see a sidewalk party reaching people in an apartment complex just right by our church building, what could you do to throw a party in your neighborhood to reach your friends and neighbors? As we look at equipping families to reach families, you could be a part of of pictures like this that we'll celebrate over and over and over again as we meet the needs of people in the name of Jesus. All right, I better stop or I might start preaching on that. But that's not today's message. Today we step into the book of Leviticus. And if you've been here with us in 2018, you know that we began with the big story of God, the single story of God, opening in the book of Genesis. And we saw creation. And then we saw that God corrected the sin in the world with Noah and the ark. And that God called his people and made a covenant with Abraham. And then in the book of Exodus, we studied the last four weeks of how God freed his people from Pharaoh's oppression and how God used Moses and called his people and performed mighty acts on their behalf. And now God's people are in the wilderness. They're on the way to the promised land. And as you keep reading through the book of Exodus into the book of Leviticus, you see God set up a meeting place with his people. It's called the tabernacle. And this tabernacle had specific dimensions, specific placements of elements, so that God's people could meet with God. And next week, we're going to talk very specifically about pulling away, how to sequester with God and meet with him in the tabernacle that we have today. But today's message is about the opening chapters in the book of Leviticus. And the the big idea of the book of Leviticus is this. God is holy, and we're not holy. The big idea is that God is holy and wants his people to be holy too. You'll remember that when God made his covenant with Abraham, he said that he would make us, he would make his people, the Hebrew people, a a nation of holy priests, right? That he would set them apart. They would be sanctified. That's the biblical word for set apart. They'd be set apart for him because they're his people. And, And now we see them freed from captivity 400 years under Pharaoh's oppression. And now they're in the the wilderness. And what God wants to deal with them now is this. God wants them to cease and desist from some of the practices that they picked up while they were in captivity. You can imagine how living in a land for 400 years with multiple false, false gods might affect you. You can imagine how living in a land where people disobeyed the one true living God might affect your standard of obedience. You can imagine... How living in a foreign land might change how you speak and live and act. And God says, you are my people. And so I'm calling you to cease and desist from false worship. I'm calling you to cease and desist from mistreating people. I'm calling you to cease and desist from dishonoring me and how you eat and how you live. I'm calling you to cease and desist. And that's what the book of Leviticus really is all about. And I jokingly say that the book of Leviticus is where every good Bible reading plan comes to a screeching halt. It's like every good diet comes to a screeching halt on Super Bowl Sunday. This is where good Bible reading plans come to, a, to stop because you're like, I understand Genesis. Wow, that's awesome. I get Exodus. My God sees. My God hears. My God acts. And then you read the first chapters of Leviticus and you go, what is up with this? And so I hope to explain it to you. And I hope that you will see it in such a way that these laws that God prescribes, 
the rules that God outlines. I mean, God will set rules on how we worship him. God will set rules on how we eat and how we dress and how we treat each other. I mean, some people look at all those laws and they say, what does God think he's, like, what is God doing with all of these rules? Let me tell you what God's doing with all these rules. He's calling his people to cease and desist. He's calling his people to stop doing what they're doing naturally in sin and start to honor him with their lives and keep their side of the covenant. So he comes and he says, I'm going to change what you eat. I'm going to change how you dress. I'm going to change how you talk. I'm going to change how you worship. I'm going to change everything about you. And when you read these laws, I hope that you see this in your personal study, that God comes with specific detail because every area of your life matters to him. God comes with specific detail because every area of your mind and your life and your mouth needs to be changed to honor him. There is no part of you that God doesn't care about. There is no part of you that doesn't need the full transformation of God to honor him. And the book of Leviticus reminds us of that. Some people push back and they're like, I don't know how a loving God could, could give us all these rules and expectations and expect us to clean up our lives. I don't get it. I mean, that's the same person that's eating the Tide Pod right now. I don't get it, right? I mean, why would I want to do something right that God outlines? Why would I want to do what's right when I'm doing my own thing? Why would I want to do that? And so as we open the book of Leviticus, we open with a look at five sacrifices that God set apart for his people to use to, to enter into relationship and to have fellowship with him. With the tabernacle set, there was a meeting place with God. And so now the people of God had to be ready to, to, to meet with him and to be with him and to be changed by him. And that's what the sacrificial system was all about. And so let's jump into it together. And, and here's the basic premise. The holiness of God, we're going to do a little math. The holiness of God plus the sinfulness of man equals... When you put the perfection of God and the sinfulness of man, you see the gap that's created there. The holiness of God plus the sinfulness of man equals the need for atonement, equals the need for something, someone to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man and a sinful woman. The holiness of God, which we see, and the sinfulness of man, which we know we live, demands atonement. And so what we see here in these five sacrifices is a way for man to realize they're wrong, a way for men and women to realize they're wrong and to make their way back to God through a sacrificial system. And the first sacrifice is this. It's a burnt offering. You can fill in that blank. It's a burnt offering. Men or women who were approaching God, as they were entering into the tabernacle, they would lay like a, a bull on this altar and it would stay there overnight and be burned up, totally consumed. If they didn't have a bull, they could lay a lamb or a goat. If they didn't have a lamb or a goat, they could lay a, a pigeon or a dove, depending on the, the wealth of their family. But this first offering was a reminder that God accepts everyone by grace. At first offering, too, you're giving your best from your field, the best from your flock, the best of your birds. And it's a, it's a sign of your total commitment and total dependence upon God. That second offering is the grain offering, and you can fill in that blank. The second offering, as we continue to read in the book of Leviticus, they outline a grain offering, which could be like a scoop of your finest flour and some olive oil baked up into a 
to a bread or baked up into like, a, like something you could consume. Could be the elements in their raw form. But you come and you say, God, because you received me by grace, I give you this grain offering or cereal offering because I am thankful for what you have done in accepting me. And then the third offering is the fellowship offering, and you can fill in this blank. The fellowship offering is is one that's optional, but it would have been probably my favorite. The fellowship offering is when we come together as friends and family with the priests, and we eat together and we celebrate together what God has done in accepting us and our gratefulness for him accepting us, that we are his people. I mean, the amazing thing here is it's almost like they worshiped him in, in large settings with this burnt offering and then the grain offering. And then they broke into smaller groups where they would worship God with this fellowship offering because they were so grateful for what God has done. The fourth offering that they would offer is what was known as a sin offering or a purification offering, and you can fill in that blank. This sin offering is what covers you for all the wrongs you do intentionally and unintentionally. It's the things that it's an offering that you make so that you're ready to, to come in and be clean to worship God, so you're not ceremonially unclean. See, they they did they did more than you and I do to get ready for church. They would actually make an offering unto God so that they would be ceremonially ready so that they would be able to walk in to worship God. And then the fifth offering is the guilt offering. And you can fill in that last blank. The guilt offering was made after we realized we'd done wrong and after we realized that we need God's grace to be accepted, after we realized that we're grateful and thankful and together in community, the guilt offering was made because sin has legs. Sin spreads. And so the guilt offering is essentially this. If you stole from someone... Not only would you go and confess that to God is sin, but you would go and deal with your guilt with that person. You would go and pay restitution plus a little bit more. You would do what you could to not only show that you were wrong in your action, but you would try and make it right between you and them. See, it was this five sacrifice system that was set up so that the holy God could meet with unholy people. And as you think about that, I mean, could you manage that system yourself? I mean, could you manage a system and remember, okay, I need to offer a burnt offering. Okay, now I'm grateful, so now I need to get some, some, some grain ready. Oh, now we're going to have some people over. It's a fellowship offering time. Now I need to offer a sin offering. Now I need to offer my guilt. I mean, could you manage all that? I would struggle with that. I would get a little OCD on that, I think. Some of us, have used our relationship with God and turned ourselves into religious robots like we see here in the book of Leviticus. A system that God created for his people in this specific time, we would struggle to keep up with it. Or we'd make it our only way of approaching God. God, I'm going to keep sacrificing. God, I'm going to keep doing, 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 doing. When you read this and you're like, Mike, does this mean that when I do something wrong, I need to go raid my kid's 4-H project? Right? I need to barbecue my, my boy's pig? You know? do, I need to, do I need to raid the pantry when I'm feeling real thankful and make some cookies and send you some pita bread? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Do, do I have to keep these rules, Mike, so that I can approach God and so that I can be with him? Some of us will completely discount 
the need to prepare to be with God. Some of us might become religious robots and get OCD on it. What's the message for today? Because what the book of Leviticus does is points out, rightly so, that we are sinners and God is holy. And because God is holy and we are sinners, something needs to cover for our sins. Something needs to make atonement for our wrongs. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system prepared people to be with God. But what God gives us in the New Testament, what God gives us by the New Covenant, is something that is permanent, is something that is lasting, is something that we can count on no matter what. I want you to hear about it. Hebrews chapter 10, 12 through 22. But when the priest had offered for, for all... Pardon me, as a speech major, but that doesn't mean I can read. So let me try that one more time. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Get this. The priests in the Levitical times were offering sacrifices again and again and again and again. The people were sinning and they were offering and sinning and offering and sinning and offering and sinning and offering again and again and again and again. But the Bible says when Jesus offered his one sacrifice for all time, he sat down. Because what he offers us is complete. What he offers us by faith is lasting and wholeness and healing in his name. What he offers is more than just a religious rite. It is a change in heart. It is a change in life. It is a change in position with God. Let's keep reading. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. Verse 15, Hebrews 10. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Let's stop right there. See, what God says is that I have got a whole new way of dealing with you because of the grace that I've got, because of my love for you, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. You're not religious robots who are attending worship to please me and going to small group to satisfy me and serving to make me happy and giving so that I'll be blessing you. You are not religious robots. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. The Bible says that he writes his laws not on tablets of stone anymore, but on your heart. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. You are sons and daughters of the Most High, and because of that, your sins have been forgiven. The Bible here says he remembers them no more. Other places it says that he puts his, our sin behind him. He removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. You are sons and daughters of the Most High because of what Jesus has done for you. You are sons and daughters of the Most High by faith because of the one sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. We don't have to be religious robots. We don't have to diminish our sin and say that nothing can be done to make it right because one thing has been done to make it right. It's Jesus giving his life for us. Let me finish this up. 
And where, where these have been forgiven, Hebrews 10, verse 18, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Leave that up there for a second. Where your sins have been forgiven, no longer is a sacrifice needed for your sins. Why? Because your sin has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. Why? It's his sacrifice that makes you right, not your sacrifice that keeps you right. Where your sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. That means that you don't have to believe in Jesus over and over and over again to ensure your salvation. You believe him once and he makes you his. You believe in him once and his spirit lives in you and he writes his laws on your heart. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So let's keep reading and see what's better than sacrifice. Get this, Hebrews 10, 19 and following. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, in the original covenant, in the sacrificial system, we entered into God's presence by the blood of lambs and goats. But here we're entering into a relationship with God through the blood of his son, Jesus. I want you to get that. And by a new and living way, verse 20, open for us through the curtain that is his body. In just a minute, we're going to take communion at every location. And we're going to hold a cracker that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. We're going to hold that cracker and we're going to be reminded of what we see in this passage. That his body made our way to be with God. The separation between a holy God and sinful man torn in two because Jesus gave his life for us by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body verse 21 and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near to God get this because Jesus has forgiven you you don't have to be a religious robot sacrificing again and again and again and again instead you get to be a son or a daughter who does this let us draw near to God with a sincere heart that's full of assurance that faith brings. What assures you that you're God's kid? It is your faith. What assures you that you're God's son or daughter? It's what you believe in him. Having your heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to get this. The sacrifice that was made for the Hebrew people of God in the book of Leviticus was a temporary Sacrifice, a temporary cleansing. But what God offers for you in Jesus Christ is a once and for all cleansing. The Bible says that he has made you perfect. Those he is making holy. You're standing before God because of what Jesus has done for you has made you perfect in God's sight. You might see yourself as a failure in God's sight. He sees you perfect in Jesus Christ. You might see yourself as sick and broken in this world. He sees you perfect in Jesus Christ. You might see yourself struggling. He says, I see you as a son or a daughter who is perfect in my sight because of the sacrifice I've offered for you. And then get this. That sacrifice not only makes us right with God, but helps us grow in our rightness with people as we live here on earth. He has made us perfect, and by that same sacrifice is making us holy. So what are you going to choose? 
that sacrifice that's based on what you bring to God? Or are you going to choose the sacrifice that's based on what God has given to you? He gave us his son once and for all so that we would know him, be cleansed and forgiven, so that we would be his sons and daughters. So that brings us to the most important question of the day. And if you've been with us for a while, you know what the most important question of the day is. It is two words. It is so and it is what. And whether you're gathered at Lone Tree, Port Lavaca, online or at Victoria, I want to hear it. I want to hear these two words put together. So on three, let's hear it. On three, so what? One, two, three. Mike, so what that God created a tabernacle, a meeting place for him and his people? Mike, so what that God created a way for sinful people to relate to his holiness through this sacrificial system? Mike, so what that God looked and saw the nature of man and the need of man and gave the ultimate sacrifice, his son, Jesus Christ? Mike, so what? What does that have to do for me today? And here it is. What we learn today is how to deal with sin correctly before God. What we learn is we're all sinners who need a Savior. What we learn is we're all sinners who need to respond to a holy God. What we learn is that God still calls his people to cease and desist from behaviors and attitudes and actions that are defined by the world instead of defined by his word. And so what are you going to do today When you sin. And I hope you see it. What I said is, what are you going to do today when you sin? It's not a matter of if you sin. It's a matter of when you sin. And that's all of us, starting with me. What are you going to do? Well, the first thing is this. I invite you to believe in Jesus to cover your sin. And you can fill in that blank. Believe in Jesus to cover your sin. Just like in the Old Testament, something or someone will have to cover, atone for your sins. I invite you to look and say, there's no sacrifice that I can make. There's no work that I can do that will bridge the gap between God because I continue to sin. I can't try hard enough because I can't bridge that gap myself. I can only believe. I can only believe that the sacrifice that God gave for me, made for me in Jesus is the only way for me to be right with God. See, Mike, I'm a believer. What do I do when I sin? And I'm so glad that when I believed in Jesus, December 27, 1989, I'm so glad that when I believed in Jesus, they told me, hey, Mike, you're God's kid, but you're not a perfect kid. You're still going to mess up. You're still going to sin. Because even as a Christ follower, even as someone who loves Jesus, the sin struggle is real. So what do you do? Well, after you've believed in Jesus, you, you, you're set with God. You are forgiven. You're his son or his daughter. You've got a relationship with him that nothing and no one can take away. So now your job is to walk with him, to be in relationship, to have fellowship with him. And so when you sin, what do you do? First thing, you confess it. You confess it. Don't hide it. Don't keep it in the dark. Don't push it down and squash it. You can fill in this blank. You confess your sin to God. The Bible says that 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us 
and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go beat yourself up over your sin again. You need to confess it to God. Agree with him that you've done wrong. Agree with him. Confess it. The Bible says that you even need to confess your sin to a group of people at times. Because the prayers of a righteous man or a righteous woman are powerful. We might even confess our sin to somebody else so that we go, you know what, I'm not going to keep this a secret. I know it's wrong. I'm going to cease and desist. And I'm going to let you know what I'm working on. Second thing we do to deal with sin as believers is we should be broken by it. You can fill in that blank. Be broken by it. What I love about the sacrificial system that we studied briefly in Leviticus is that guilt offering, that offering where the faithful Hebrew would go and make the wrong right, that where they would go and make restitution, where they would realize that their sin has consequences, that they wouldn't just make a burnt offering to God and be in his presence, but instead they would look to, to make it right because their sin affects others. As believers in Jesus Christ, We are forgiven, but our sin still has consequences. And we should be broken by that. As believers in Jesus Christ, our sin has been, God forgot it. But people haven't. God forgot it, but we still have and experience the consequences of our wrongs. And we should be broken by that. Listen to what the book of Romans teaches Pardon me, make it 2 Corinthians 7 teaches. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says this. Godly sorrow, when you're broken by your sin. God, I agree that it's wrong. God, I confess it. Godly sorrow brings repentance, which is a change in mind. God, I'm, I'm going to cease and desist from doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. That leads to salvation. And this word salvation here is physical deliverance. Some of us are experiencing earthly trouble Because we are continuing to sin in uncontrolled ways. We're continuing to sin in ways that we are living the fruit of our bad decisions. And the Bible here says you can have a change in mind. You can cease and desist. And when you do, that will change what you experience here on earth. You'll experience salvation, a physical deliverance. And this type of godly sorrow leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I mean, you think, think about it. You can feel bad about your sin. You can feel like, you've, like you'll never get this right. Or you can have a change in mind where you say, you know what, God, I agree with you. I'm going to cease and desist. You know what, God, I agree. I'm going to live with no regrets. God, I agree that the sacrifice that Jesus made for me is enough to change me. God, I agree. And so I'm going to be broken by my sin. And then the last one. You can fill in this blank. You can grow through your sin. Not only can you confess it, not only can you be broken by it, but you can grow through your sin. Maybe the things that you're doing wrong, the attitudes, the actions, the habits, the hang-ups, maybe those things are how God is pinpointing the next area he wants to work on in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe that anger issue is next on God's list. Maybe that addiction issue, maybe that impurity is next on God's list. And he's going to show, your sin will show what your next project is 
with God. Because what God desires more than anything else is your obedience. So instead of giving up on your fight against sin, when you sin and struggle, say, God, help me. I confess that this is wrong. When you sin and you struggle, God, I'm broken by this. I don't want to keep doing this. This affects me and others. And God, lastly, I want to grow through this because what you want from me more than anything else is obedience. In a minute, when we hold that cracker and we hold that cup, we realize the life that God has called us to because of the sacrifice that he's made for us. Friends, together, let's approach that throne of grace with confidence. Together, let's approach that throne of grace with confidence and receive the grace and mercy that we need. Together, let's worship God in such a way with our lives that we please him and we serve him. That's the call of today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to be challenged today. God, I pray that you would help us to deal with our brokenness and our failure in the right way. God, we wouldn't dismiss it and say, you don't care. And we wouldn't be overcome by it and say, nothing will ever change. But instead, God, we'd see that your holiness and our sinfulness demands a price. And thank you for the price you've paid in Jesus. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you to use this time to prepare to come to the table to take communion. The bread and the juice will remind us of the sacrifice that God made for us and will help us look forward to his return. Use this time to confess your sin. Use this time to make a commitment to God. Use this time to do business with him. And as you do, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I invite you today to admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior of all. And he invites you to believe in him and to find life in him and life in him alone. So today's your day to believe. You can't earn your way to God. You can't good your way to God. You can't sacrifice your way to God. You can only believe your way to God through Jesus Christ. If today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 